1: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God.
0: And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the
1: redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you for tuning to the podcast once again today. This is Brother Tim McVeigh. And uh, we're here in Blaine, Pennsylvania. We're in the middle of the Blaine services, and we've asked some folks that have come into town to just share their testimonies with us. Now, we thank the Lord for that. And we have Miss Chelsea LaRoche with us. Her husband, Nate LaRoche, is here with us also. And Chelsea's going to give her testimony what the Lord has done for her. And so we're thankful that they're here. And I pray that you would take heed and listen to the things that she says as she talks about how God has worked in her life. As we've challenged so many times in this podcast, what God has done for others, he certainly can do for you and how we give God the glory. So, Chelsea, you just go ahead and tell us what God has done for you, what God has laid on your heart. Thank you so much for being here.
2: So my name is Chelsea, and I want to thank Brother McVeigh for giving me the opportunity to be on the podcast. And I want to thank God because he's the only reason I have uh, anything to say. Um, I want to start when I was a child, I was raised in a Christian kind of home, not really. Um, We did go in and out of fundamental Baptist churches, and we didn't really have faithfulness in my home. We were in and out all the time. But when I was in between the age of four and six, I really don't remember exactly. I did pray a prayer, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And from that moment on, I was counted as a saved person. I was baptized and Um, it didn't really mean anything to me. I don't, I don't even remember the actual experience itself. It wasn't something I had the proper understanding of what I was doing or anything of that sort, but that's just how I was raised. That's how you got saved by praying that prayer. And, um, I do remember on and off as a child, as a teenager, and as a young adult woman sitting in services. And once in a while there would be something coming in that was conviction on me. I did not realize that it was conviction, um, At the time, really, that wasn't what I would have called it, but there would be a stirring in my heart, and I'd start to get nervous and think, what if I'm not actually saved? What if I might be going to hell still or something along those lines? And I would just sit in my pew while the preaching was going on, and I would say, "Uh, dear Jesus, just in case I'm not actually saved, uh, if that didn't work, will you please come into my heart again and save me? And I had to pray that just in case backup prayer many different times. I never told anybody that was just, you know, I think just what I, what, what most people probably do when you're suffering in that condition. Once I was in my teen years, I was very rebellious. I would sneak out of my parents' home. Um, I had boyfriends a lot. I was drinking, partying, smoking marijuana regularly at 13, 14 years old. And this is as a quotation mark saved person. Um, so no new creature, of course. And I I met my now husband whenever I was 16, and I just wanted out of my parents' house. Uh, I was ready to get out of there. There was a lot of hypocrisy. There was a lot of drinking and fighting and yelling and um, just bad things in my home, and I really wanted out of there. I thought I could do a lot better job, (laughs) and I proved that wrong really fast, but I won't get ahead of myself. Uh, So I moved in with my boyfriend and his parents when I was 16, Barely a year later I dropped out of school in my 11th grade year and my husband and I got married on my 5 days after I turned 17. And I thank God for that because we were two lost people getting married um and just living vile and living in sin and everything, but he was very gracious in the husband that he gave me. My husband was not raised under preaching, he was not raised with the word of God. He knew nothing about it and yet Several years later, after living in squalor and sin, my husband decided he was going to take his family to church regularly. And he brought me to the house of God where I could hear preaching and where I was eventually converted. Um, So, yeah, I kind of jump in a little around here, but we'll just go back to the last six or eight years, I guess, Um, probably from around the time my son Was two, and he's now ten. We, my husband and I, started drinking alcohol, and we smoked marijuana daily, all the time. But then, once the alcohol started, that was when it got really bad. Because I drank every day, all the time. I was hooked on it, um, and I just lived a miserable, sin filled life. I was so depressed all the time. There was a hole in my heart, in my life um, at the end of those many years. So many times we, we would say, we have got to stop doing this. We can't do this anymore. We're wrecking our li- our lives. Uh, we're ruining our son's life. And this is just going to be the rest of our life, just drinking and being drunk every single night and How can that really be what we do for the rest of our lives, right? And uh, so we would say, okay, this is it. We've got to stop. We've got to quit. Sometimes it would only last a night. Uh, By the next day, we were drinking again. Sometimes it would last a few days. And I think the longest we were ever able to actually make it on our own was two weeks. And we maybe did that two different times. Um, There was a time when we, this was... I want to say maybe 6 6 or 7 years ago um when we had stopped drinking for a lengthy period of time but during that time we were abusing prescription drugs that uh were not prescribed to us so you know you can kind of be righteous about that like oh I wasn't drinking but we were abusing pills the whole time and during this time the reason we weren't drinking was because we had committed to going to church again um a Baptist church in the area that we had lived in and we actually became members of that church And they were good people. They were good to us. And God was good to us during that time. But we, I should, I'm sorry, I should speak for myself, not my husband and I I should speak for myself. I basically was spitting in the face of God that entire time. There was no change. There was just, it was really good for a little while because it did help the hurt a little bit. You know, we stopped drinking and we were in the house of God regularly. We were around God's people. We were in prayer meetings and Bible studies and under preaching regularly. So yeah, our life, it hurt less during that time, but there was still nothing real to it for me. There was no substance. There was nothing I could go to bed with at night that helped me. That I had peace. I went to bed with just peace in my soul. And I had no relationship with God, no personal relationship. I wasn't reading my Bible outside of church. That didn't even occur to me. I wasn't regularly in prayer to him. I might have prayed for things from the Wednesday night prayer list and things of that sort, but I had no personal relationship with him. And henceforth I had no real peace. Um, so it fell apart um, rather quickly. I can't I, I want to say we made it about a year in um In being in church and everything there. But when there was nothing real to it for me at the end of the day, we we began to drink again a little bit at first. Uh, We lived in the same town as the pastor of that church, and that's where we also went to the liquor store. So it was kind of a game, a risk, a game of risk. We were playing for a long time. We'd always think one of these days, either our pastor or a member of that church, they're going to see us coming in out of that liquor store. We're going to get caught. And we did this for months and it's just shameful, just shameful what we did, um, you know, to God, to those people that loved us and were really so good to us there. And uh, I am ashamed of those things. Um, but eventually it got to the point where we just knew we were going to get caught. We couldn't get away with it forever. So what did we do? We ran, we ran away and we just picked up and we moved and we moved back to where we had moved from to get there for our fresh start. Uh, and it was bad. Those next few years after that were just hell, just spending all of our time, just drunk on drugs whatever we could do, and that's when we really started getting into going to the bars and partying and driving drunk all the time. I mean, when you're talking about living a disgusting, sin-filled life, just being this person in the dirt, that is exactly who I was, and that's exactly the life that I was living, and those memories are painful. That was a hard life. Living in sin is a hard life. Um, you might think you're doing okay for a little while and you might think you're having fun, but nobody who's ever lived that life. I know what I'm talking about. You cannot tell me that it's a good life, that you're having a good time. You might have good times in that time, in that kind of a life, but it will not last. It's hard. And so those next three, four years after we moved back, we just got, it's like that verse in the Bible that talks about how the spirit left that person the unclean spirit and then they came back and found the house swept and garnished but seven more evil spirits came back and it, it's it kind of felt like that we give had given these things up and we had tried to do good and we did these things but then when we went back to it it was seven times worse and all the while my you know my son is living with us he's only 5 years old he started kindergarten that year living in a home with selfish wicked parents who chose so many things over him, who chose their own sin over him. And um, not to mention, I chose all of that over God, of course. Um, During that time, though, oh, God has been so good. He's had much, much mercy on me and in my life, because I think about that wretched time, that terrible, miserable time. And in that, he was working in the LaRoche family. I didn't see it. I had no clue of the things that he would have in store for us. I could have never, ever imagined what a good God he is and what he could do for us. I never could have imagined it or dreamed it up in my wildest dreams. Excuse me. But in that time, he was working because there was a church, the Black Creek Baptist Church in Black Creek, uh, New York, which was an hour and a half away from where we lived at the time and my parents started going to that church and my little sister and my little brother um they started going to that church here and there i think it was just my dad at first and then my dad and my sister started going and then the whole family would go and then they would start taking our son taryn with them um not every time but very frequently he would go to the services with them and he would be asking for prayer for his mommy and daddy to stop drinking, and to come to church. And I had no idea. I was not aware of that for a very long time. I found out later he had been asking for that prayer for about three years. He faithfully asked for prayer for his parents, and he prayed to God. And God did hear that little boy's prayer, but it wasn't right away. It didn't happen right away. Our son had asked us to come to church. Mom and dad, will you please come to church? My parents, my siblings, they would ask us. Took three years of them asking, will you guys please come to church? Just come to see what it's like. I was so done with church at that point. It had never helped me. It had never fixed my wretched self. It had never taken those addictions away from me. It had never given me joy or peace. It was just more of the same. And it just, it just, I felt, what was the point? Why can't we just stay doing the things we wanted to do that we thought we were happy doing? And I just didn't want to give it the time of day. And so we would keep telling Taryn, yeah, we'll go, we'll go someday, we'll go someday. And at the time we had a real uh, jalopy, we had a lemon of a car and you know, it was an hour and a half drive. And so I said, I kept telling my parents, I told our son, we will go to church at Black Creek once we get a new car. When I get a new car, we'll go, we'll make the trip. Well, I got a new car and I think it was in between nine and 12 months after I got the new car, you know, because I was a liar and I did not honor my word. And uh, so, you know, they're still asking, still asking. And so almost a year after getting the new car, we finally went out to church one day and Of course, I had no shame, so I was hungover and probably still half drunk the next day when I went into the service there at church, and we were a half an hour late, and Brother McVeigh was kind enough to call attention to that when we walked into the service, (laughs) and uh, so we walked in, and, and I was uncomfortable. I was definitely out of my comfort zone. We sat down, and I do believe that Brother Cliff Taylor was the first one preaching that day when we came in, and we sat down. And I was like, you know, I'm just here to appease my son, to appease my family. You know, more or less, we've been saying it for so long. We just got to be here. We just got to do it. Like shut everybody up kind of thing. Real good motive for going to church, right? I sat there in the pew and the man of God was preaching and my mouth just started to open a little bit more, a little bit more. And my jaw is probably just hanging open, open. I'm wondering, just marveling within myself. I've never heard the word of God preached this way this guy actually looks like he means what he's talking about. He actually looks like he believes he's telling the truth and he's talking from what he knows inside of him. And he's talking about that Bible and preaching about that Bible in a way that he believes that it's actually the word of God, that it's actually true just the way that it's written and for just what it says. And that was just astonishing to me that because again, I didn't want to go to church because there was nothing ever real for me there. And I didn't really see anything real for most of the people I've ever seen going in and out of churches, uh, in my experience. So when I saw that it was amazing to me and that gripped onto me and, I believe there was probably more than one preacher that day, so we got to hear more than one message, and I was it was convicting. and Immediately, I had already started wondering. Let me back up just a little bit. My dad and my mom had just started within the last couple of months before that, started to hint things at me about the possibility of not truly being saved themselves. I had grown up, and as I said in the beginning of this podcast, My family struggled with their faithfulness to church. Um, We were in and out, and my parents themselves, there were many nights I went to bed listening to them fighting, screaming, breaking things, drinking, Um, and yet we would be... There were times when we'd be in the house of God and my dad would be wearing a suit and carrying a Bible. And he claimed salvation all those years of my life. Uh, he claimed to have gotten saved whenever I was just a baby. So I grew up believing that my dad was saved even though we lived the life that we did. I guess I didn't really know any better. Um So within the last couple of months before we came to church, he started saying things like, you know, I'm just starting to realize I don't think that I'm actually truly saved. And I'm like, immediately, I just wanted to put my fingers in my ear right at that moment and stop listening because it just sounded like nonsense to me. My whole life I've been taught, once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. So... You know, he asked Jesus into his heart 27 years ago or however long. And how could he be telling me now that he's not saved? That goes against everything I've ever been taught. And so I accused my parents of being in a cult. I said it was just foolishness. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was just mad and annoyed with the whole idea of it. And yet I sat in that service the first time I went to church. And within just a couple of messages, I'm like, I don't think that I have that. I do not think that I'm saved. Like, this is, this can't be right. This can't be what it is. Maybe there's something more to it. And, uh, you know, I would be sitting all those years, you know, drunk and sinning openly, not hiding it, just doing awful things. There are things that I would never want my family to know. Um, and yet I would have said, I prayed that prayer, so I'm saved and you can't tell me otherwise. That is not what God says in his word. A saved person lives like God says that a saved person becomes a new creature and old things are passed away. All things become new. That is not the evidence of a Christian, according to my Bible, the life that I was living
0: there is a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You
1: have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com 17006 Thank you for listening and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow and remember to look up for your redemption call at night. Now the
0: angels of God are A child has come home and the Saints all with gladness are singing the glory a song of the redeemer